very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Famburgas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Give yourself the gift of truth. Speaking of another gift, have you listened to Sanitas yet? We provide the first segment right on our website, veritasradio.com, or if you prefer, just go to sanitasradio.com and listen there. You can listen to the first segment, and I know a lot of Veritas listeners are also subscribing there. And to you, I say thank you. I hope that Sanitas is also making a difference in your life. According to tonight's special guest, Malibu is an epicenter of evil. From his words, quote, I, Robert Merrill Stanley, am currently of sound mind and body and have no intentions of taking my life. This rather dramatic declaration regarding my mental and emotional state is directly due to the extremely dangerous nature of my current journalistic project, an expose of the genocide, murders, mind control, and multiple suicides that have occurred in my hometown of Malibu, California." Formerly a corporate journalist for Honda Research and Development in Torrance, California, Robert M. Stanley is currently the editor of Unicus Magazine and the author of Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C. and Close Encounters on Capitol Hill. He has passionately researched UFOs for over 30 years. In that time, he has interviewed dozens of eyewitnesses and leading experts. His ongoing investigation of UFOs has been featured on international television and radio and in print. Mr. Stanley is a native of Los Angeles. He spent 20 years growing up in Malibu, California, before moving to the South Bay. He has traveled to over 50 countries in search of answers to ancient mysteries. His website, unicusmagazine.com, which is also linked at ours. And directly from somewhere in the Far East, I'm not sure if I can tell his location. I'll let him tell me if he can't tell his location or not. I'm privileged to welcome my friend and researcher, Robert M. Stanley, back to Veritas. Hello, Robert, and welcome back. Well, Mel, uh, no, thank you for that very kind introduction. <laughs> can I can I say where you are? Is that something that you keep in private? No, it's it's fine. I'm in Hong Kong. Excellent. Well, the, the sound quality of the show is great. Hopefully, we won't have any archons get in the middle of a connection today. <laughs> right. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about. Well, a few weeks ago, Robert, you approached me 
for, for multiple reasons, but one of them being that Malibu is an epicenter of evil, you say. Now, can you explain what you mean by that? <clears throat> yes, and it's actually very unfortunate that I have to even bring up this topic, but uh, since no one else is doing it, uh, I guess it falls on my shoulders. Um, much like that investigation in Washington, D.C., anyone could have done it, but nobody wanted to, so I ended up with that. But um, it, it sounds so dramatic, you know. I mean, most people think Malibu is just a playground for the rich and famous, but it's it has a very dark history. And I know this from personal experience, but also from literally decades of research. Uh, and it <clears throat> it's not a, a very pleasant story, but people need to know. The reason being is that um, I don't want anyone else to get hurt or killed there needlessly. Uh, like I know things happen to people, but the the number of suicides and murders in my hometown of Malibu is staggering. And um, uh, I, I knew quite a few of these people prior to starting my investigation here in 2015. And it's, it's really weird, Mel. I got to tell you, I'm 7,000 miles away on the other side of the Pacific. And for some reason, I started to do an investigation of Malibu in the very same manner that I had done with Washington, D.C. I'm not sure what the trigger was uh, to, that co would compel me to do this. But um, in years previous, I'd been writing about it as fiction because I didn't think anybody would believe me. And uh, now I know, well, I, I'm really glad I didn't uh, because this is a very serious topic. And as I say, um, I, I feel that people need to protect themselves or at least be aware of the problem so that they can, um, well, yeah, protect themselves on, on some level. You know, for some reason, I don't know why I just made a connection here with the work of David Polites and the missing 411 work that he has so, you know, his stellar work about all the people that are missing all the time from national mm -hmm. parks in the U.S. and Canada, and now he's, he's, he's uh, you know, going around the world with this. But this is, this is Santa Monica, as you say, Many people associate Santa Monica, I mean, I'm sorry, Malibu, as, yes. as, as the, the playground of the rich and famous. When you think of, 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 of you know, Beverly Hills, you, th you see people going to, to Malibu all the time, and you don't expect this, this paranormal activity, if we can call it, to be appearing in such a, uh, quote-unquote, an important place. But I remember a few months ago, somebody emailed me a picture of a Google map showing what seems to be a dome or an anomaly in the ocean off the mm -hmm. coast of Malibu. And I remember I used to fly out of the Malibu airport. I used to fly out of, of uh, John Wayne Airport when I used to be a private pilot. And, you know, never it would occur to me that some anomalies would be happening there. Now, mm. that, that, that alleged UFO, or can we call it USO, submersible objects, in that area, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, I mean, because I've seen them, but I mean, it's it's sort of part of the historical background of what we're going to discuss here is that a lot of people have seen UFOs above and below the water in Malibu and the and the surrounding area. And it was in 2009 when I was using Google Maps is when I first found that anomaly. I called it a platform. 
And I sent it to, I pinned it on Google uh, map. And I actually sent that to a couple friends of mine in 2014, Jimmy church and some of his colleagues saw that, uh, uh on their own. And they, uh, reported that it was a, a UFO base. Um, I'm not sure why they said that, but having had very many close encounters at that same location, I didn't argue the point with them. It's just that, um, I was a little upset that they took my article about UFOs in Malibu and literally plagiarized it for their press release. And so I, you know, for one reason or another, I contacted them or they contacted me and we kind of worked it out. Um, but the thing is that the reason I was looking in that area under the water is because just inland, there are ancient ruins there that I discovered in 1985. And they look like giant megalithic statues. Um, there's some walls there. There's other artifacts that I've acquired over the years. And that was all part of the, the puzzle that I've been trying to put together, uh, for at least, well, 30 years now. Um, actually we're coming up on the 30 year anniversary of, of, uh, how this all started. Okay. It, and I've told this story many times, but I've actually, one of the reasons I, I, I wrote, recently wrote that article, Epicenter of Evil, is because um, what happened on September 21st, 1985, when I actually saw what the Gnostics call archons, uh, I was saving a boy's life where I worked as a security guard on the beach in Malibu. And uh, during that process, I had like, a, what do you call a uh, uh, altered state of consciousness uh, because of the, st I was in a state of shock. So were the, the people in the house. I mean, it was explain, very, explain the story of the the child with the yeah. scar on his forehead. Yeah. Yeah. That was okay. So I was just, it was just, it seemed like a very beautiful, normal day at the beach. But, uh, uh, I, I met this boy. Well, I briefly I just walked by him, but I just saw that there was this boy playing in the sand at a house where I, I was familiar with them. I, I knew the owners really well. And the, the thing about those houses, a lot of times people would just be guests or, or renting. And so, uh, it didn't, you know, it didn't seem abnormal that this boy was there and by himself. And, uh, uh, I noticed that he had a scar on his forehead, which seemed very odd. You know, I mean, it was, it was so deep and I thought, geez, yeah, that God, whatever he did to do that, that must've hurt really bad. So anyway, uh, um, I went back to where I was stationed as a security guard. And, uh, a few minutes later, I heard the most horrific sound and it was the boy had gone upstairs into the house and, uh, was playing there momentarily. Then he got up and he ran across the room and, and literally ran straight into the uh, sliding glass door and broke it with his face and uh cut his his head face wide open um i immediately rushed over there and um uh it may sound like a small thing but i called the paramedics uh because the grandparents were in such a state of shock they weren't reacting quickly enough and the boy was bleeding to death so um uh the you know it, it while i was waiting for the paramedics to show up uh i was speaking with his his grandmother. And I, I was, like I said, I was in a, an altered state because I was uh, so much adrenaline. There was blood everywhere, glass broken. 
And um, uh, as I was speaking to her, not only did I have a, somehow I had a, a realization that the boy was hearing voices. I didn't even know what schizophrenia or possession was at that time. I mean, that wasn't even, uh, I was 25 years old. I, I, I hadn't been studying that stuff. Uh, but in any case, as I was talking to this, the, the boy's grandmother, that's when I realized that he was this, you know, he thought he could fly, or at least the voices were telling him that he could fly. And, um, at that or, or moment, move through a glass door. Well, I no, because one of the things she told, I, I asked her, I said, look, I, I know this is none of my business, but, uh, I, I noticed that your grandson had already had this huge scar on his forehead. What was that? A, how, how did that happen? And she said, well, the last year, meaning the previous year, he was playing with a, a cat in his father's pickup truck in the, in the bed of the truck and the cat jumped out. And then he jumped out after the cat literally head first jumped out of the pickup truck and hit his head on the, on the trailer hitch. I could see that very clearly in my mind that he thought, he, you know, he was, I, I kind of had visions of that when I was a kid too. I never followed up on it, but I, you know, you know, in your dreams, you can fly sometimes. Yeah. Uh, all right. So when you're a kid, you know, sometimes you don't know the difference, but this was really serious. This was very serious, literally life-threatening. And, um, oh, cause she had told me, she said, I'm glad. Well, yeah, here's what it was. She said, I'm glad the door was shut. I'm like, what? And she said, uh, if the, um, yes, if the door wasn't shut, I think he would have jumped over the railing. I was like, what? (laughs) That, so it was, uh, my mind was racing. Okay. And she was telling, giving me clues. And that's where I came to that awareness that he was, he was hearing voices that told him he could fly. That's why he was doing these, these things. But in reality, it was all about, they were just tricking him into doing this uh, so that he would harm himself. And of course, you know, absolutely terrorize his parents and grandparents. And um, uh, what I've learned subsequently is that these, these entities, these parasites, they, they literally feed off of the negative energy that's emitted by humans through our DNA when, when we're traumatized. So, um, but as I was having, like I said, at the moment when I was having this awareness in the house there, I actually saw these things, that, uh, these parasites in the, in the room floating up near the ceiling. And, it, and honestly, I thought I was like uh, hallucinating uh, because it was, I was in shock. I sort of figured, well, that can't be there. I, I don't know what that is, but it, you know, it can't be real. And I only saw it, them for, it's sort of like, I, I, I it's like they, uh, they were there and then they just vanished. But I, I really think they were there the whole time. It's just that I somehow momentarily saw into their dimension or their realm. So you're saying that this, this child was the source of pain and suffering because of of the the actions that he was being pushed to do. Therefore, yes. the grandparents were suffering because of what was happening. Yes, yes, extreme. It was to the extreme. Now, I mean, these people were in just, and I felt terrible for them. I didn't even know who these people were, but the point is, they're as they're fellow human beings, and I could I could empathize with what what was happening there, which was just horrible, horrible. And, um, uh, fortunately, you know, the, the paramedics came and took them away that there, there isn't, you should understand too, there, there, there isn't any hospitals in Malibu. 
So they, they had to transport them. That's, a, that's always a really tricky issue. Sometimes they have to medevac people out in helicopters when it's a really, really tragic situation uh, in order to get them medical attention uh, quickly enough. But anyway, that particular day um, afterward that, I, I felt uh, um, horrible. I mean, and I, at first I thought, well, it's just because that was, you know, that's, it's traumatic. And I was, I was just like stressed out, but, uh, it wouldn't go away. And then I, I started thinking about, uh, those things that I saw, you know, and and I thought, God, if those things are real, uh, I, I could have literally pissed them off sort of like a, you know, like you don't smack a hornet's nest. Uh, and I, in a way, I think that's what I did. I interrupted what they were doing. And, um, more importantly, I saw them and, uh, they, they started, they were, I felt like they were attacked. I was under attack. And the analogy I, I used, it was in my solar plexus. It was, it it wasn't just a stomach ache. Okay. This, there was something bizarre going on. Like I'd never felt before. And, um, it's, I guess the best analogy I use is like, if, if, you know, when you have water in a sink and you pull the plug. And you watch it drain out. That's what it felt like, except it was draining out of my um, my solar plexus. The, there was the energy coming out of me that I just couldn't I couldn't account for it. And I, I started getting worried. Like I like I, I was thinking that these things are going to literally drain all the life out of me. And um, can you describe I them? Can you describe? Them yeah, what yeah, you saw? yeah. To yeah, yeah. To me, well, I've. I've found some pictures of them in 2011 when I wrote the first article. But anyway, yeah, at the time they looked like ticks to me because that's what the only thing I could relate it to. I mean, uh, they didn't have legs or anything. They just had the shape of, like like I said, my first reaction was, uh, oh my God, those look like parasites, you know? Uh, uh, But they're, they actually look more like amoeba, but larger. And, um, as I say, Trevor Constable took pictures of them inadvertently using infrared film back in the California desert, actually, uh, back in the fifties, he called them critters. He didn't know what they were. Um, but, um, yeah, it, so I didn't know what they were either. Right. But I just knew that I was under attack and, uh, from something I couldn't even see, which was, uh, well, strange to say the least. So, uh. Anyway, what happened was it was the equinox and I ended up going up on a mountain that night and um, uh, meditating or praying, me- meditating, I guess you'd call it, uh, be more accurate. And in in a way that I'd never done before and or since, actually, uh, I needed help and I didn't know who to turn to or what to do. I, so at that point, I was just running on pure instinct and um uh, I ended up spending the entire night uh, unprepared. I spent the entire night on the, on a mountaintop. Um, and uh, at one point, I got tired and I laid down on these cement slabs. Uh, it was an old military radar installation there from left over from the Cold War. And um, I laid down on the cement and almost immediately I just floated right out of my body. I had an out-of-body experience, but it was so weird because I was utterly 100% awake, you know, um, and I was, but the, the, where I was, was very unusual. It was just, it was all light. Everything, everything was light and I felt safe there. And, uh, until I saw some motion 
of something in the distance and that got my attention and and ended up that this whatever I saw initially uh, was coming towards me and it stopped in front of me and it and it looked like a man in a robe uh, actually you know of most people the prototypical Jesus, you know, long hair and a beard. The, the really crazy thing about this individual was that, that how bright he was glowing. Um, and, you know, I subsequently I found out a lot other people have seen this character, too. I mean, it's, it wasn't just me, but uh, it's it's a it's a sight you'll never forget, because um, even the, uh, the 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 center of his eyes, the pupils, there was light coming out of his eyes, which was uh, uh, startling, to say the least. So, of course, my natural reaction was I thought, who the heck is that, you know? Uh, and he said, I am the father. I'm like, huh? I, that that didn't make any sense. It it really shocked me. And he started laughing. And the very next thing I knew, I was sitting bolt upright. Now, I thought, I really thought that um, I just had like a weird vision. Uh, until I looked off in the horizon and then I saw that the moon was now setting when I, when I, I should have mentioned when I lay down, the moon was pretty much overhead. Um, and so I'm assuming it was like midnight or one o'clock. I don't, I usually don't wear a watch. So I, I didn't have a watch. So I'm just guessing. But anyway, when I saw that the moon was now setting on the water, I realized that hours had gone by, which made absolutely no sense to me at all. It actually freaked me out because I thought, wait a minute. I was a hundred percent awake and you, and I'm supposed to believe that I was asleep on cement for like three or four hours, you know? Uh, and I can't remember anything. I just was so tired. I just like, it, it didn't make sense to me. I felt like something else happened and I could, I just couldn't, I still don't know what it was. I just, I just had this very, very, very strong feeling. It's like something's missing. And, um, I was right about that. I didn't, I didn't know until I got back to work, uh, that later that day I, I visited the house again, just to see what happened. And, uh, I spoke to the boy's grandparents and fortunately he lived, he had to have, a like they said over 300 stitches in his face and head. Uh, but, and he lost a lot of blood obviously, but he, he survived. And at that point, I told him something that I still, it's just, like I said, it doesn't, so much of this, it didn't make any sense to me at the time, but um, I told them that they could heal the scars on his face, but unless they heal the scars on his soul, that this would happen again. And as I'm saying these words, I'm thinking, what, what am I, what am I saying? You know, I really felt like uh, foolish on one level and, and also nervous, like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired for my job, for act, for even, you know, these poor people. I, 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 like I said, I had no memory of what was going on. I, I wasn't sure why I said that, but there's an explanation. Okay. So a, after that, I left and went back to my, where I had like a little station out on the sand. Uh, and I was sitting there trying to make sense of it all. And this girl came up to me as she was a friend of my girlfriend at the time. And she said, she was very excited. And she said, uh, uh, Hey, Robert, Robert, I, I saw you in my dream last night. You taught me how to fly. And I really, 
I was not in any mood to hear weird stories at that point. It was, it was so weird already. I just like, yeah, okay, whatever. She says, no, 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 no. You, you came to my room and you took me up into the mountains and taught me how to fly. I'm like, what, what did you say? You know? And she says, yeah, yeah. You took me up to the mountains and, and I was having trouble getting the, you know, and then, you know, you, you got mad at me and put me in a shopping cart for some reason. <laughs> She said, the next thing I know, I jumped out of the shopping cart and I started flying back and you followed me back and uh, you followed me back to my bedroom, made sure I was safe. She said, it was kind of like Peter Pan. I'm like, really? And and she said, and she said, um, you know, I, I think this has something to do with spirituality. I, I read about this in my psych class one time and I'm like, okay, I mean, you gotta understand this person she this was so out of her realm of reality for her to be talking about that i mean when she was interested in cars and 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 going to the mall shopping um that that was her thing you know she 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 could care less about metaphysics spirituality that was we that was just not it was so out of character for her to say that to me and i thought oh my god I wonder if did it really that's what I was doing while I was out of my body and um, or in that other state, whatever you want to call it. I guess they call it an astral plane. Uh, and then I after work, I went home and the phone was rigging as I walked into my apartment and it was my grandmother. who A very, total opposite of this young girl. She's she's I mean, my grandmother is a very spiritual woman. And, and she, she says to me, uh, Robbie, um, I saw you in my dreams last night. I'm like, Oh God. She said, yeah, you were standing at the foot of the bed and, um, you were telling me something, but for the life of me, I can't remember what it was because, um, she says, you were all lit up like a Christmas tree. She said, it was so beautiful. It was the most beautiful dream I ever had. And I thought, wow, I was, I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. It still it still shocks me when I think about it now. You took, Here's, you took some people for a ride, uh, out of body experiencing. I, I and traveling. those, yeah, and those are just the two women that I know of. I suspect I must have gone and checked on that boy as well. Um, I think because I think when we're in that other dimension of being, uh, that we can do all kinds of things we we would consider extraordinary or supernatural, and. Um, I'm sure that's how shamans learned so much of what they knew without the aid of uh, technology like telescopes and things like that uh, or microscopes. And um, so in any case, I think that uh, that was the the beginning for me. In fact, I know that was really uh, the point of no return. When I heard my grandmother's voice telling me that story, I, I there was no way I could dismiss it as just a, a freak accident and maybe my mind was wandering off into strange places and uh, uh, it's what compelled me all these years to investigate uh, the paranormal and um, so I went back to the mountains looking for to see if I could possibly reunite with this person this radiant being of light this is from uh, 1985 yeah, I went back up into the mountains looking for him, trying to get some more answers. And, and ultimately, that's how I first set eyes on those uh, enormous stone statues. They're extremely ancient. And um, the thing is, when I was there, when I first saw them, 
physically. Are they, are they underwater or no, on no, the surface? No, no, no. They're on the surface. They're up on top of a, an extinct volcano. Uh, it's are there a, pictures? It's, are there pictures yeah, of the... Yeah, yeah. It's on my website. Uh, if you if you under featured articles, just scroll down, you'll see uh, the megaliths of Malibu. Oh, megalithic monuments of Malibu. Yes, absolutely. There's pictures. Um, and I actually provide um, uh, information on people if they want to go there and see it for themselves. They're welcome to do that. But um, uh, I was going to say, um, oh, yeah. So in when I first set eyes on it, physically, I had such a strong feeling of deja vu. I mean, it was just overwhelming. And and that's when I started having uh, fl- uh, recall of lucid dreams that I'd had as a child growing up in Malibu. So many times. Uh, I mean, it, I, a lot of times it was I was either with the Native Americans, the Indians, or I would be with these other people. And with the, the, the Shumash, the natives there, they, they called them the first people. I didn't know that at the time as growing up as a child, but they were different. I could tell they were different because they dressed differently. They had um, more like the Greek toga and, and, and they, uh, they had boats and, uh, but they, they would, they made stone cities. And uh, it, it, it's, it was so strange because I would, when I'd see them, it was like in a, I was in another time which I assumed was another place, but in fact, it was actually where I grew up. It was just so different back then. Um, and and uh, I kept going up there and studying this place. Um, they call it Boney Ridge. And while I was there, especially in the late 80s and early 90s, I had multiple close encounters with UFOs right there, which is near Point Magoo Naval Base. It's part of their missile tracking system. And that's also where the uh, that weird anomaly is. So, again, that fast forward to 2009, that's why I was looking in that area for something under the water. Uh, because but that's part of the history is that the first people were destroyed in a flood. And um, I know that the Santa Monica Mountains extend out, and, and the I should say the Channel Islands are actually the submerged uh, extension of the Santa Monica Mountains there. So I was assuming there might be something under the water. Uh, that's why I was using those maps to see, and and I was surprised when I mean it. Just the thing is, it, the the pictures that most people look at are interesting, but I think there's a, a bit of distortion in there. Um, especially when you put it at an angle and start assuming that you're seeing things. But when I actually went and looked at, uh, for higher resolution scans from the government, from the National Oceanic Association, NOAA, um, I was stunned. Uh, there's clearly something artificial there. I don't know exactly what it is, but you can see the geometry of it. It's, uh, it's startling. How come, see, with so many scuba divers, it's not difficult to find one brave one that might say, hey, I have a GoPro camera. I can go there. I can dive. I'll bring some pictures back. Why haven't we heard from anybody who has gone there and scuba dive? If I lived in the area, I probably would have done that. Well, you could you could probably get to the top of the platform 
but it, I don't think humans are built to dive that deep uh, without How some deep? sort of. You know, I I don't have it in front of me, so I'm I would just be guessing. I'm not going to throw out any numbers. It's just too deep for uh, a human diver. Is that's my understanding? Uh, you you would need some sort of submersible. However, we know that the Navy is right. They have a base right next door. Literally, it's right next door. It's up just up the street from that. Uh, so I'm sure that our Navy has looked at this very closely for a long time. Why do you think that Google has allowed it there? Is, is, it, is it a distraction or is it to open the door to people like you and I to start looking into it? Well, uh, you know, the first picture I saw in 2009, which I have on my website, by the way, is, is not as good as what's come out in 2014. And then uh, they just keep upgrading this stuff, uh, but we still can't see... Well, actually, I should say that. Something I started doing here in 2015 is using uh, plugins uh, grab for gravity anomalies. And I did that specifically for that area. And there's definitely some gravity anomalies in that specific area that are, uh, I've only shown one of one thing. Uh, it's very large, it's circular. And, um, it tends to make me think that there's a very large void uh, just underneath that area. But I think that, you know, the rumors have been for years, if you've ever followed the work of Branton, of like the mysteries of the Mojave, uh, all the so-called underground, you know, ancient as well as modern underground facilities inland of California. Um, Some of the rumors are that the, the Navy has actually found ancient lava tubes that run from the coastline all the way inland to like Death Valley area or uh, China Dry Lake. Uh, so it's it's possible that they you know that there's a whole labyrinth underneath uh, California, starting from what is now the coastline. Like I said, you know if if my understanding is correct, the The, the old coastline was much further out, uh, and, it, and it, the water level was much lower, too, maybe a couple hundred feet. So um, things, things would have changed quite a bit, and it's possible. I, my, that was my first thought, actually, was when I looked at that anomaly, as a, it looked to me like a platform, like a mound. You know, how people, uh, the Native Americans built mounds, um, because it has such a, a regular shape to it. Um, it's too symmetrical for it to be natural. At least that was my first thought that it was probably some ceremonial platform or mound um, that somebody built prior to the flood. And, um, you know, the other thing is that I think it was a couple years later, I actually started looking harder with Google. Uh, Earth, and I found that there's similar anomalies out just below the equator in the South Pacific. And these things are obviously ancient, ancient buildings. And th they also have uh, entrances that go straight into the Earth. Some of them are a mile wide. I think there's two or three. And they're so clear, Mel. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's, it, I think, you know, that's someplace it, that people could easily 
uh, scuba dive if they wanted to. But I mean, seriously, if you wanted to go inside one of the entrances, you'd have to have some kind of uh, submersible device. Either there's nothing, or if there's something, I have a hard time believing that it would be very easy to penetrate, whether our oh. military is present already or somebody's out there yeah. making sure that we don't find out. Uh, that would be the, yes, that's a very true statement. Um, one of the case reports that I was given uh, last year, it deals with a, a fishing crew and their how their boat was suddenly electrified uh, when they were out in that area. And uh, they ended up having to throw everything pretty much overboard to get towed back to uh, to shore. Uh, it was it was a very hair raising situation and, and it utterly unexplainable uh, by any normal, rational means. It's just, it's just totally illogical. I mean, uh, it couldn't have been lightning or anything like that. There's no reason for the entire ship, ship to or boat to become super charged like that. Um, so I'm just glad those people didn't lose their life. But, yeah, there's there's some strange stuff that goes on out in the water. Going back I, to go ahead, finish your statement. I, I just wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go personally. I wouldn't want to. Uh, I I've traveled. Um, most of my travels actually were on the ocean in my earlier life, and I just did. Uh, I have a very deep respect for the ocean. It's it's beautiful. I love it, but it's it's deadly. Oh, you have to respect it, no doubt. Yes, very much so. Now going back to Malibu and the fact that you say that. Suicides, murders have happened. You know, I, I I go back to a couple of years ago. Was it mm -hmm. Michael Michael Hastings, who it was in Malibu where his Mercedes Benz all of a sudden, you know, took control of the car itself. Perhaps it was remote controlled, and you know, some people say that they heard an explosion before it crashed into a palm tree, and he died. Yeah. And we all know what he was working on. Yeah, that was actually. I think that was closer to Hollywood near Beverly Hills area. Um, Uh, no, in Malibu, one of the, it's funny you should mention that. Actually, it's, it's just ironic because that's, that's the other most prevalent cause of death in Malibu is, is car accidents. I mean, they call it a, uh, a death trap, at least on the Pacific Coast Highway, which that I can almost understand. But a lot of people also drive off of the roads and the mountains or drive into cliffs and, and just kill themselves. It's like, uh, it, it happens very, very, very frequently. Also, I found a lot of people being run over, killed by just pedestrians at a very high rate. Well, let me not, let me not judge anybody. Yeah. Given the fact that that is a very affluent area, <laughs> it also has a lot of celebrities who live there. Yep. You know, we know that drug drugs penetrate that area. They may be sure. under the influence that you get a lot of DUIs, a lot of people under, uh, you know, the influence of other drugs. This could be attributed, a lot of these deaths of people getting run over by all these people who are under the influence of some kind of drug. Okay, let me give you an example here. I, I mean, there's so many cases here. I just, there's no way we could cover it all in this show. But uh, uh, one of the people I got to know is John Gable. His father was Clark Gable. Um, he lived right down the street from me and, um, he was interested in, uh, Shumash artifacts and that's how we got to be friends. And, um, 
Although I feel very uncomfortable about people collecting artifacts. Like I, I just, okay. Uh, but whatever, that's how we got to know each other. When I started my investigation, I haven't talked to John in years, but uh, I found out that his wife, this was literally right down the street from where I grew up, by the way, his current wife uh, mysteriously just died in her sleep. They couldn't figure it out. Um, shortly after that, John was driving on the Pacific Coast Highway and blacked out and crashed into a series of, uh, I mean, he hit multiple cars when he passed out in his truck. They arrested him thinking he was drunk. He was not. He tested, he tested negative for any kind of alcohol or substance at that time. He couldn't explain it either. Okay. So that's just one example among many. And the only reason that celebrities come up is, well, first of all, a good majority of the population are celebrities, but also because their lives are, um, public. And so everything, pretty much everything that happens to them is in the public record and it's accessible to me. And uh, I just want to make it clear. I am not uh, one of these celebrity stalker kind of people. I don't really take any pleasure in even discussing their private lives, but it's part of the story. So I can't exclude it just to, you know, for their personal comfort. John Clark and Gable. He was the star of the movie, I believe. Uh, what was it? Aliens from Uranus, 2012. <laughs> I didn't Seriously? Know that. Yes, uh, Aliens from Uranus. So obviously, there's a connection into the UFO field. Well, with, wait a minute. Uh, wait, you're saying you're saying John Gable actually started a movie like that? Yes, John Clark Gable. He's the He was born March 20th, 1961. I'm looking at IMDb here. Oh, okay. Yes. I didn't uh, I did not know that. <laughs> Sorry. That's that's, okay. cr that's that's crazy. I didn't know that. Okay, so thanks. If, thanks. if you knew him, I wonder if he knew that you were into, you know, this field as well. But also no. the overdose, the overdose that the amount of overdoses <sighs> that we see in that area of the world is unprecedented to anywhere else in the United States, I believe. Mm. And again, it's because of you know, the affluence that the area has. But the the murders, this this the suicides and the overdose, I can see why it happens, but the murders, explain the murders. Well, I, I can't explain all of them, but I, it's, uh, look, some of the people that have been murdered there are murdered were staying there and then they left the area. And this is the most obvious The most pronounced would be people like JFK. He was having an affair with Marilyn Monroe there. Robert Fitzgerald Kennedy was literally in Malibu the day that he was assassinated. He left Malibu and went to the Ambassador Hotel and was killed. Um, John Lennon was another one. He he spent quite a while with his so-called lost weekend with Maypang. That was in Malibu. That was actually on the beach where I worked. Um, obviously, he was assassinated. Ronald Reagan. At the time, he was a Democrat. He was very connected to Hollywood, as you know. President of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, he had property in Malibu. And he also, what I found very astonishing was that, 
allegedly he was taken to a home in Malibu on the beach and transformed into a politician. Now, I don't know how they did this, but it was the work of uh, two gentlemen. I assume they programmed him because uh, I don't know how else you could do that. You can't just turn somebody into something they're not uh, unless you, I mean, my, that's just my understanding. In other words, I don't think it was just an act. I'm sure he, he was, he, I mean, he seemed believable enough, but uh, anyway, the, this is, like I said, the murder and the mind control seem to go together. Obviously, Reagan survived it, but it's very similar. I mean, the the way the assassination attempt on him seems very, very similar, if not identical to what happened to John Lennon. Absolutely. Let me just stop you there because I find the, you're probably the only person that I have spoken with who finds the similarities between the two killers of the, the two, you know, the, the two uh, people who try to, well, he succeeded, one succeeded with Lennon, yeah. but Hinckley, and you probably know the story, I've said this many times, Hinckley's family were yes. really close to the Bush family and yes. there's a newspaper, the Houston Chronicles, that is probably lost. If you try to go to a library to try to get it, you won't find it. But I have a copy of that cover page where it said, I think it's Marvin or Neil Bush, one of the two sons. One Neil. Of the, one of the sons, Neil, that yeah. was supposedly going to have dinner with Hinckley's brother the night before the attempt, attempted assassination. Yeah. Yeah, it's all too convenient. Um, so anyway, as I said, that uh, there's... I guess I should back up a little bit here. The being of light that I met on the mountain that night was being very vague. And for a long time, uh, I was under the impression, I was actually hoping that he was benevolent. I mean, he presented himself as a being of light. I thought, well, and I was calling for help. So I thought maybe this guy was actually there to help me. But it turns out that was or is that is Lucifer, also known as Enki. And he's, he's known by a lot of different names here over different times. You think uh, Enki is Lucifer? I know he is. Huh, okay. Yes, I'm sure he is. I, that's not that, no, there's no question in my mind. That's why he said he's the father. He, he Genetically, he's the one that supposedly created us in, the, in our current form. Or actually, there was many different iterations of human that he uh, and his colleagues created here. What about Enlil? That's his brother. Enlil, actually, uh, my understanding is Enlil and his brother, I mean, um, and his mother, the queen of Orion, uh, are the ones that originally set up this planet as a, a garden paradise. And it was only after Enki illegally created his own empire that he uh, he took over here. And, and he changed it. He changed it into something that was, uh, uh, it's just, it's just a mess. It's, I, he turned it from a paradise into a prison. And I'll explain, i explain, I, you know, I've, as I said, I, I've been given a lot of information about this over a period of decades that it, and it literally took me that long to unravel this Gordian knot. Um, because I really needed to know what was going on, uh, personally. And also, I think professionally, uh, since I became involved in this, uh, 
I think people have a right to know, not just me, but I, won't, I think everybody has a right to know how we got into this mess and hopefully how we can get out of it. And um, that's one of the reasons I'm talking about this preemptively. Okay, I, th- these guys are dangerous. He, he's, you know, Lucifer Enki is 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 um, he's mentally ill. And I know Sitchin doesn't talk about it in his books, but that's what I've learned is that uh, the reason Lucifer started rebellion is because he he went insane. And that that came from a source that, uh, you know, that was given to me actually in 1986. And it took me a long time to understand the ramifications of all that. Allegedly, though, that information was given to a friend of my father's back in the 1950s. His name is Norman Paulson. And um, supposedly that, you know, Lucifer and his crew uh, entered a forbidden zone at some point in, in, in ancient history. Uh, this is before he came to Earth and did all the nefarious stuff he did here. But he, he entered a forbidden zone that was off limits. And he when he and his crew went in there, they, they literally went crazy. They they suffered such trauma that they... That they uh, uh, had what they call multiple personalities start to emerge. I mean, this is something we know for sure happens to human beings when you traumatize them. That's part of the whole MK Ultra Project Monarch kind of mind control thing that they do to people. They break them, and so that the the psyche fractures into multiple personalities. Um, in any case, that's what happened to Lucifer a long time ago, and um, he also at that point inadvertently created those mental parasites that um and and this is how now you know he became the father of the archons the archons are not just these parasites they literally are lucifer and all of those that are uh in under the influence um uh, and that's why i think it's accurate when i i started to diagnose or describe evil as an infection it's uh I think it's important for people to realize that um, there's a lot of people on this world that are infected by these parasites. And it seems that every culture in history has different names for them, but they all have the same attributes. So I know we're talking about the same thing. Now, where it gets a little confusing is the parasites are actually part of the the hierarchy. Um, they're just, they're just hmm, an extension of what Lucifer and his crew actually became when they entered that forbidden zone. Cause when they came out, they were completely different. They were no longer angels of light. They were no longer gods. They t- had turned into something. They literally became demonic. They were fallen into a state of mental illness. And, um, so what happens is that there that you can't have you can't have a rational conversation with somebody like that because you never know which personality you're dealing with. In fact, their internal conflict is raging all the time because uh, each personality has a different agenda. So there's no integrity, and um, this is why we see psychopaths. You know, are a very small percentage of the population, but they always seem to rise to power. It's it's the system. It sort of supports it. I mean, it's it's from the top down. You know, the uh, 
uh, this is difficult for me to talk about. Um, see, most people don't think that Lucifer even exists. And the people who look at Enki thinks that he saved us when in fact he, he was violating the terms of the agreement. He was supposed to destroy his exper so-called experiment that he had created here. It had gotten to, to the point where there was, it was such a mess. It was such a grotesque mess that he had created here that, um, his family told him, you have to destroy this or we will. And naturally, like I said, he's not sane. So he, he said, yes, I'll do that. But he didn't. And ultimately, that's why Enlil stepped in and um, created the flood. And um, of course, we know what happened next was Enki said to his creation, Gilgamesh, Noah, whatever. He saved he saved part of his creation and he started over again. And um So you think the flood was on purpose so they could yes. end us all the experiment, if you will. It was it wasn't even an it was an experiment gone completely wrong. And the the original I that's probably not the right word. Originally this planet was an experiment. The life here that was created as a blueprint that was going to be used to uh, upgrade most of the universe. But that was all, that all changed when Lucifer went mad and he came here and he, and he turned it into something, uh, I mean, just something completely abhorrent. Um, you know, see, here's the, here's the other thing that you need to understand is that um, he only can manipulate matter at this point he can he's lost his ability to create using his consciousness directly and i in my third article antidote for archons i actually show this um how that thought waves when they merge together form patterns and those patterns are the matrix or the blueprint for for matter to form right we know energy we know matter is energy right but, but how does it get to take the shapes that it takes. Well, it comes from waves and those waves are generated by consciousness. Those are thoughts that are generating these, these waves. And, and ultimately those patterns is the, is, you know, how everything takes form. So, uh, but because as I said before, their consciousness of these beings, these archons, they have fallen into a state of uh, illness and they cannot focus or generate those kind of waves anymore. So in essence, they became parasitic, you know, themselves. Um, it's one of the reasons that they feed off of our negative energy. They can't, they're not connected to the source anymore. They've literally disconnected themselves. And so they keep us disconnected too, by the way, most of the humans here are treated like cattle. You know, we're just, we're constantly being provoked and, um, and distracted and kept off balance. And so that we will uh, be uh, a benefit, you know. You know, the movie The Matrix actually was uh, it was a very good analogy for what we are to them. We're like their battery at this point because they they can no longer get the energy from the sun. That's just an analogy, okay? Um, 
to, and, I have to you tell know, you this. I have to tell you. Ahead. I don't mean to interject, but I have to tell you this. I remember 10, 15 years ago when I used mm. to be totally plugged to the Matrix. I was watching TV all the time, digesting everything they said. And I remember I've never suffered from depression. But yes. at the time, watching all this stuff all the time, all it takes 60 seconds after you turn on the TV, <laughs> 10 years, 15 years ago, or right now. Try yeah. it, folks. Turn yeah. it for 60 seconds and you'll find the stock market is going to crash. ISIS is going to come and take your son, whatever. And I remember back then feeling this sense of hopelessness. And it took over for me. It took me, it took my emotional stability, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, you name it, until, until I just one day decided to turn off that TV. And boom, incredible. Incredibly, to my surprise, not even a few days later, I felt like a different person. I felt positive. I felt great. And I felt like I didn't have this thing that was, you know, when somebody touches you and they zap your energy, the the energy vampires, that's exactly how I felt that that subliminal tube was doing to me. And, you know, and I thought that came to my mind after, you know, while listening to you, it just occurred to me that because you also discussed the, the, the three worlds, and I want to discuss that when we come back from our break. <laughs> okay. But, you know, it just occurred to me, when you place a mouse or mice in a glass container, the first thing they do is look for a way out. So what do they do? They start looking at the corners, and eventually they give up and they go play on the wheel until they die. Mm. Couldn't the same be happening with us humans? As a child, this probably happened to you, I always wanted to know more and was told to be quiet and follow the curriculum. I wanted to know who we were, where we came from, and I couldn't just take what the, quote, unquote, the good book was telling me. And I gave up temporarily until I created this radio program, which brought me to the conclusion that the reason why we're not allowed to know too much is because knowledge is power, and we must remain powerless and divided. Do you agree with this? Yes, well said, absolutely. But it goes, again, it goes a little further than that is why? Would they treat us this way? And I believe that's what I've just outlined for you is that um, it's utterly corrupt and it's cruel. But the causation behind it all is goes back to the, what I described before. Um, the, the, the God of this world, Lucifer, is evil um, because he's insane. And it, his insanity is infectious. You know, here's the thing. Everybody is affected to some degree or another by this infection. And yes, television isn't helping. At, uh, actually, even the Internet, I see what they call fear porn. You see it all the time. Uh, it's constantly affecting people negatively. And so it's it's extremely difficult to to have hope and to maintain one's equilibrium. In other words, balance, I guess, is a better word. Uh, Balance is always found between two extremes. So, you know, you don't want to let yourself get too tight or too loose in this world. It's it's easier said than done. But, um, you know, you also touched on something very important here. Uh, um, When people lose hope, they tend to just give up and this is this is understandable but then if it's replaced by false hope and that's one of the things that the archons are famous for 
Cameron Day has written some very interesting articles about this. He calls them the Lords of Karma, how they can insinuate themselves into our lives and pretend that they are saviors, much like I was saying about Enki, Lucifer. You know, he pretends that he's not only the father, but he claims he saved us. He saved humanity from the flood, from his sinister family, you know, his brother and his mother. Uh, and it's it's utterly backwards. You know, it's absolutely backwards. That's giving us false hope. And, you know, the thing is, some people actually work with him knowingly because they get rewarded for doing that. You know, I uh, guess you know, just loosely call him Satanist. But my understanding is that Satan is actually uh, Lucifer's son. I mean, he does have a family. He came from he came from a very prominent family, and he does have a son. And uh, the thing is, we're under that rule covertly. That's who the shadow of government really is. It's all Luciferian or satanic. And I don't mean that on religious terms. Um, uh, you know, I sent you an article that came out recently from the Vatican about them doing an exorcism in Mexico. That's where I am right now. I've, I hear it all the time. Well, oh, you are? Okay. So, but I mean, th the fact that they, the Vatican is admitting that they, that the entire, <laughs> they're saying the reason that they did that most unusual exorcism for the entire country is because they, it said in the article that it's infested with demons. Now, look, I, I I'm not Catholic, but I'm very well aware of of all religions. Okay, I respect them all equally, but I I, I don't adhere to one because one doesn't cover it all for me. That's that's my problem with it. Uh, I think the reality is much bigger than all of that, and it's far more complicated too. Because if one religion could address all the problems that we're having right now, we wouldn't be having these problems, don't you think? Yeah, most problems are because of organized religion. Look what's happening now in the Middle East. Okay, but uh, if you go a little deeper, Mel, into what the motivation for Muhammad writing what he wrote, and in fact, his entire, his entire family was affected by those, uh, what they call the jinn. Those are, uh, and to me, uh, that's what the Gnostics called archons. And they've been around for a long time. Look, from, from Islamic perspective, everybody is born with a jinn attached to them, that entity can whisper into the souls of men. Does that sound familiar? Uh, it, it's not a good thing in my understanding. It's like, why do we even, why would we even permit anything external like that having access to our consciousness from birth? I mean, it's all, it's in my first article. If you really want to learn more about it, I, I don't want to insult anybody. It's just like that. This is, this is a problem that we're all facing together. And, uh, religion has been hijacked. I think it would be a, an appropriate term by these archon so that they can again give us, uh, misdirect us into worshiping them. That was one of the things that, that happened to me. It's not that I was worshiping him. It's just I I was under the assumption uh, that, that he was actually a, a, a good benevolent. It took a long time for me to figure it out. It's like, uh, you know, in a Rolling Stone song, Sympathy for the Devil, he says, pleased to meet you. Won't you guess my name? But what's troubling you 
is the nature of my game. And that has, that keeps popping up into my head now because I realize, oh, okay, I finally guessed who you are, you know, and, and it's, and now I know the nature of your game because, well, on some level, I believe that he really wants help. I know that sounds weird, but I, I, he needs help, obviously. The problem is when you're dealing with somebody like that, you never know which personality you're, you're, you know, you're in touch with. And, um, you know, I have to tell you this before we had to take our break. Yeah, now. Go ahead, go ahead. I remember years ago, I interviewed a gentleman with the name of Richard Cassaro. He wrote a book mm-hmm. about the triptych. You probably have heard about this. Yes, absolutely. I love that the pyramids have these three doors everywhere. And I asked him, you know, why the commonality? Why the common denominator? And he said to me, because the three doors, one is positive, one is negative, and then you have the middle, mm-hmm. yeah. which is reality, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that in order to have good, we must have bad. We have to have cold in order to have hot, uh, you know, heat, day, night, etc. And what I tell people when they say to me, how do I get rid of all these archons and these forces? Well, disconnect yourself from it. The problem <laughs> is that it's so prevalent these days. Yeah, yeah. Smartphones that can, you know, can store a, a hundred items that we used to have before. So it's so available to us. So the the mm-hmm. way that we can inject disinformation and misinformation, like a virus, is so prevalent these days. But what I tell people, you know, what you think you will become, what you feel mm-hmm. you will attract, and what you imagine. You can't create. There's always hope. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to discuss the three worlds of getting into a lot of this new information these days. And I want you to discuss it. You also mentioned a word, the Shumash, which I believe they were the the secret, the Native American secret society, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that was displaced in 1824. They went into hiding. Right. If he had, because they were a lot of them were killed, but a lot of them also went into hiding. All of this when we come back, and we'll come back to Malibu as well. Very fascinating talk with Mr. Stanley once again. Robert Stanley coming to Veritas. Robert, how can people learn more about your work? When is the the book coming out? <laughs> well, uh, at my website, unicusmagazine.com, and um, that's where I'll have any press releases on when the book is actually published. Excellent. Folks, don't go anywhere. A lot more, deeper, when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com, click on Members, or subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, detoxified iodine, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy. Enjoy. 